Uh, good morning. Great to be with everybody, um, both in person here um, and online. Good to see you. Um, we have a lot to cover today, uh, and, and so let me encourage you uh, right now. We've already read the passage, but let me encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we've been in 1 Peter for, for quite a while now, um, 11 weeks so far altogether. We did 10 weeks together in the fall through this passage, uh, or the book of 1 Peter. Uh, and then last week we began again uh, studying this book after taking a, a, a short pause for, for the Christmas season and then our 21 days of, of prayer season to begin the new year. Um, and, and just to sum up where we've been, especially if you're new, um, you haven't been with us through First Peter 1 and 2, um, we've seen the Apostle Peter, who was a friend of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and a leader in the church. We've seen him write this letter with a concern, with a concern to, to help followers of Jesus know how to navigate through this life in a world that's not our true home. He wants followers of Jesus to know how we should live in a world that has such vastly different realities, such different truths, um, really different perspectives than the ones that we share as followers of Jesus, as Christians. And so in light of that, with that in mind, Peter writes to the church. He, he writes by, by reminding us of who we are in Jesus. That's how he starts First Peter, and we see him continue that through First Peter 1 and halfway through First Peter 2. He reminds us who we are in Jesus. He gives us these important truths, these encouragements about our identity. He says things like, um, we are born again. That in Jesus, we have a living hope. He says things like, we are God's very own possession. If we just embrace or just believe that Jesus is Lord. There's all these encouragements. And then from those truths, Peter then shifts things. And he tells us, based on that, how we're supposed to live our lives. And these commands that he gives, these commands that follow, are God's way of saying to his people, this is how life works best. This is the way of flourishing. So I'm not just telling you these things to do because, you know, I'm concerned that you're a religious people. No, based on who you are, I want you to flourish. I want you to thrive in this world that's not your your true home. And so here is the way. Here's that pathway forward. Here's how life works best. And so he tells us from there how, as kingdom citizens, we're to deal with things like politics. How do we handle politics as Christians? How do we deal with authority in our lives? Um, He shares what our perspective should be on things like suffering, right? Big topic. How should you handle suffering or trials in your life? And then last week, last week, we discussed what it looks like to be single as a follower of Jesus. We dealt with the topic of singleness. We went through um, how should a person um, handle their season of singleness. We took a look at the gift of singleness as a citizen of God's kingdom. And if you missed that, uh, if you missed last week, 
Um, I encourage you. I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. Um, I think, first of all, it'll be really helpful uh, to you, but also it's really closely connected to the topic today and, and next week because we're really sort of in this mini-series within First Peter. Godly singleness last week, today um, we're talking about godly wives, next week godly husbands, all right? I also just want to say this as well. Um, there's, I think, just those, those sermons that now and then I, I always try to, you know, at least hit singles up here. You know, I'm trying, you know. Uh, but now and then, I think um, certain sermons and teaching just lands uh, in, a, in a stronger way in our community. And, and last week, I just want to thank you for all of the, the positive feedback. Um, I think this year that might be the one I got more feedback than anything. Um, so I don't know. I guess not a lot of people talk about singleness or godly singleness. I'm not sure what that means. But I received a lot of positive feedback about, oh, I can't believe you addressed that topic or, well, what's going to happen next week? Well, you'll see. Um, <laughs> but um, I think a lot of people were encouraged by that, um, both singles in our community and people who are married, just knowing how to encourage singles, but also if you are single, uh, what the season's supposed to look like for you as, as, one, of, uh, a follower, as one of Jesus' followers. Okay? So today, that being said again, we covered godly singleness last week. Today now we're shifting the attention to um, godly wives, the, the topic of godly wives. And, and just as a reminder, just as a, a reminder, I think this is important. Each and every week, uh, especially starting last week, today, next week, um, even though these topics are addressing specific, a specific category of people, let's remember, let's always keep in mind that God's word is always relevant to all of us. Okay? It has something to say to, to all of us. And so with that perspective, let's jump into God's word. And whoever you are, whatever category you're in, let's expect to be changed by God's word. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're single, if you're a wife, or your husband. You should go into today uh, as we dig into God's word, expecting to be changed by God's word. I believe that. I prayed that over you, by the way, this morning, that you'd be changed by God's word today, that I would be changed by these words Okay, so let's look at God's word together. We jump in now. Peter starts this way, chapter 3. He says this, Likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Likewise, wives, a little tongue twister there, be subject to your own husbands. So we'll stop there. And this really, let's be honest, this is really a, a conversation stopper, isn't it? Like, right out of the gate, some of you, some of you came today, you're all, ex- you're really excited. It's your first time back in a while. Maybe some of you, uh, you're joining online for the first time. Some of you, you're in a season, you're checking out churches, and you're like, I'm going to check out that one Freedom Village today. You're here for the first time, and you're sitting here now, and you're like, I can't believe I came. My first Sunday, I came back on Submission Sunday. All right? You're here for that. All right? So, uh, <laughs> Let me just encourage you, though. Okay, no one's running out yet, so we're good. Uh, but let me just encourage you, hang in there, all right? Um, don't, don't tune out yet. Uh, let's have grace. I'm going to ask that you would show grace and patience as we work through this discussion this morning. And then, and then ultimately, again, I said this last week, but let's trust. Let's at least start with this place. Let's trust that God's ways are best that he never leads us astray, and that he wrote these words. He inspired Peter to write these words for a reason. 
And so our job, our responsibility, or I guess mine right now, is to, to ask why. Why? Why is this here? And what does this mean? What does it mean, wives be subject to, or the word is submit, wives submit to husbands? Let me say first uh, that it's always important for us to understand the context. If you've been here for a while, you've ever sat under any of my teaching, Bible study, or this, you know um, I, I say that a lot. We've got to understand the context, the historical context, what's happening at this time uh, in the scriptures. So, so what's going on here? Well, what we actually, this is important, what we are actually seeing here specifically is, is Peter addressing women who had converted to Christianity, who had made a decision to follow Jesus after their marriage. Okay? Their husbands are non-believers. Okay? That's the context here. That's the first immediate context. And by the way, I should say this as well, because um, I know this is, this is an issue. It, it gets brought up. This isn't permission, by the way. This isn't Peter giving permission for you or I, um, for, for, for followers of Jesus, to say that we can or even that we should marry non-believers. Absolutely not. Let's be clear about that. No. Peter is talking to women, to wives, who began to believe in Jesus after marriage, and their husbands remain non-believers. That's why Peter writes, I think we, we have it there, he writes this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, now listen, so that even some, that's husbands, do not obey the word. See that there? Do not obey the word. So the wives follow Jesus, but the husbands don't follow the word. In other words, they don't follow God. That's what it's saying. And that reality, let's understand, it's, the context is very different than today. That reality was actually a huge, really big cultural problem in that time, in the first century. And so Peter, I'll say it this way, let's say his first concern is to care for these Christian women and to instruct them on how to handle this situation. It's really difficult, complex situation. And what's Peter's advice? What's his instruction to these women? He says, wives, submit to your husbands. He says, likewise, you should underline, highlight, circle that word. It's important. Likewise. Likewise, submit. And that word, likewise, there is is really key for our text. Really key. Again, context matters, always. You see, right before this, right before this, and you got to go back to the fall, okay? But right before this, in chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, Peter has told us all, all of us, men or women, all of us, that as kingdom citizens, to keep our conduct, our actions, our lifestyle, keep it honorable. Why? Why do we do that? He says, so that the world may see your good deeds or our good deeds and glorify God. He says, Christians, Christian, here's how you're supposed to live your life. Conduct yourself in an honorable manner so that the world will look at that and they'll glorify God. They'll come to Jesus. Submit yourselves, he says, to things like the state, which is the government. 
Submit yourself to your boss. Right? This is what you do. You submit to them. That's how you conduct yourself as a follower of Jesus. And so now you just, it continues. You just turn over to chapter 3, and Peter just continues that message. It's the, it all flows. He says, wives, in the same way that I just told you all to do. Okay, I just told you all to submit. Now wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, uh, there are a few reasons um, I believe that Peter would have said this, why this is important. Okay, remember, Peter has written to these people, chapter 1, first half of chapter 2. He's written about our new identity in Jesus, in Christ. So these women have a new status, right? a new identity. They've been given a new heart. They've been transformed. And it was possible that with this new status, this new, let's call it confidence, this new assurance, that they could have wanted to reject the authority of their non-Christian husband or just leave him altogether. Because you have to understand, in the Greco-Roman world, it was assumed, just assumed, that a woman would always, always conform to the religious practices of her husband. That was just assumed. It was never the other way around, by the way. Okay? And so the conversion of the wife into Christianity and the abandonment of her husband's religion would have been shocking to the culture. Shocking. And actually, it would have been humiliating to the husband, within the social structure. Like when he goes to the, the court and talks about life and what's happening, like he would be ashamed to say, oh, my wife's left our religion or my religion. He, he couldn't say that. And so this is important to know as well. It fits right in the context. You'll see this at the end. It's really even crazy for me to say this or to think about that this was real at this time, but that actually if a wife left her husband's religion, the husband could have potentially, even acceptably, killed his wife for doing something like this. Okay? And so, what these ladies were doing, what these women were doing by associating themselves with Jesus, apart, for, apart from their husbands, was, was radical. It required great courage, and great wisdom on how to navigate the situation. And so Peter writes to care for them and to give them hope. And so he says, here's what you should do. And he says what, something I don't think they'd expect. He says, submit yourself to your husbands. Now, we're going to talk about what that means. Okay, we're going to break that down in just a second here. Submission. But let me say a, a couple other quick things um, on this topic bef- before that. First of all, I want to say that although the direct context here is telling Christian wives what to do okay, with non-Christian husbands, this same call and instruction is given to Christian wives who are married to Christian husbands. Okay? It's important. 
In other words, a wife who follows Jesus, a godly wife, we're talking about godly wives today, they are called, all of them are called to submit to their husbands. Believer or non-believer, this is God's design for marriage. And we see this, how do I know that? Because we see this not just here in 1 Peter, right? We see this all throughout the scripture. So Ephesians 5, what does it say? Directly, wives, submit to your husbands. Colossians 3, 18, here it is again. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then he adds a little, Paul says this, as is fitting in the Lord. It's God's desire, his will. Or how about Titus 2, 4 through 5. Wives, there it is again. Be submissive to your own husband. Then we see here in Peter, same thing. So this is a God-designed principle. We have to understand that as our foundation. It's a God-designed principle that marriage was designed by, created by God. And we talked about this, this last week, but I'll just say again. While we know, we are sure that men and women are 100% equal, equal, their roles are distinct. And again, their roles are God-given. And that more specifically, a marriage is meant to, I'll call it a living parable. It's meant to be a living parable, a living example of the reality of Jesus' relationship with you and I, his church. That as the church has been, should should submit to Christ, as the church submits to Christ, wives are called, in a similar way, to submit to their husbands. We're going to talk about that much more next week, but, or this much more next week, but this also puts husbands, then, in the place of headship, okay, or, or leadership, that husbands, again, again, have been given by God this distinct role, of being ultimately responsible for the leadership, the protection, and the provision of his family. It's, by the way, and again, we'll talk about this much more next week, but again, just trying to lay out context here. It's why at the fall, okay, at the fall, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve screw up, you remember, right? They they disobey God. Who did God go to first? Right? He turns to Adam, right? Because Adam was ultimately responsible for his wife and his family. If you read that passage, it's right, it's Eve who, it seems, Adam is there, but it's Eve who, whatever, plucks the fruit, I don't know the scene exactly, and, and takes the bite and tells her husband, Adam, here, eat this. Right? So, so technically she started it, right? She started it, technically. But even though that's the case, God doesn't say, Eve, why did you do that? Why did you convince your husband? Why did you lead him? That's not what he's... No, Adam, what are you doing? Why did you allow this to happen? What? You're supposed to be leading your home, leading your family. Like, what happened? You're, you're supposed to be close to me, connected with me, right? So, so we have to get this into our minds before we even enter into this discussion. Again, we'll talk about headship all next week. But I at least want us to start with the understanding that biblical headship is a call. It's a call for men to sacrificially love and and to servant leadership. That's what it is. It's loving and leading like 
Jesus. It's loving and leading. It's loving and caring for wives as Jesus cares for his church. And so that means, that means that headship from men, from husbands, is not a matter of domination. It's not a matter of superiority. It's not about any sort of abuse, right? That's the world's view of submission. But biblical headship, biblical submission, it's actually beautiful. We're going to see that today. It's beautiful. That's what I hope that we see today and next week and agree with if we just have eyes to see and ears to hear. Okay? So that's our foundation. And then in light of that, then now we get to the topic today. What is submission? I think it's pretty clear. We can have a discussion afterwards. I'll be over here. Maybe I guess I'll be on the first floor afterwards. We can have a discussion about this, but I think it's pretty clear that the Bible teaches this, this concept of submission. We see it all throughout scripture. So the question then is, what is it? What is biblical submission? And let me start by saying what it's not, what it's not. We said this last week, but biblical submission towards wives, towards women is not, it's not a call for women to submit to all men. Peter says here, in the other places that we read, the references that we made, wives, submit to your own husbands. Not to all husbands, not to all guys. Your own husbands. So yes, Scripture is unapologetic about a husband's headship in the home. But nowhere in the Scriptures do we see any command for women to submit to men in general. It's not there. This only applies to the unique covenant relationship of husband and wife in marriage. Second, this is not a call to primarily depend on your husbands. And I mean that particularly spiritually. There is a difference between submission and dependence. And this is evident in the passage, because remember, the wives addressed here are married to non-believers, unbelievers. And since he isn't a follower, the husband isn't a follower, he has nothing to offer her spiritually. Zero, right? So let's be clear. Godly wives are ultimately, first and foremost, dependent on God, not their husband. So yes, you're called to care deeply for your husband. We'll see, to submit where it's appropriate, but at the same time, live ultimately in dependence on the Lord. You live, in other words, for the approval of God and not your husband. Which means, wives, if your husband asks you or requires you to do something against the gospel— if he demands something that God prohibits or tells you or tries to lead you towards the way of the culture, you don't submit. You don't listen. Wives must obey God first. Again, you are called to submit to your husband, but ultimately you are called to submit to a higher authority, to God himself. I also want to say this as well, and it's, I thought about this. It's just, as culture goes on, it's sad that I even need to say this. 
um, but it has to be addressed. Um, just so it's said here. But biblical submission also does not mean, it does not mean that ladies, okay, wives, that you are required or supposed to tolerate any form of abuse. Okay, let's be really clear about that. Any kind. Any husband who does that um, is not to be submitted to, is not to be followed, but is actually is to be reported. So let's dispel, let's dispel, let's throw away any and all misconceptions here and try to appreciate and understand the true meaning of this good and wise command from the Lord. Again, for our flourishing, husbands for your flourishing, wives for your flourishing, not for your harm. So wives, that's what submission is not. But here's then what it is. I tried to make this as short as I could. Biblical submission, I put it this way. I think we have it on the screen. Biblical submission is this. It's a glad, joyful, it's a glad, intelligent, respectful partnering with the husband in his leadership. It's about as simple as I can make it. It's a glad, you can write down the part that's in orange. Okay? I did that on purpose. It's a glad, intelligent, respectful partnering with the husband in his leadership. Pastor John Piper, some of you have heard of him before, um, he says it this way. It's a little bit longer. But he says this, Biblical submission is the divine calling, the God-given calling of the wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership, this is important, under Christ, and to help him carry it through according to her gifts. So again, let's be clear. This isn't the wife, when she gets married, this isn't the wife leaving behind her skills, her, her wants, her desires, or her gifts okay, once she gets married. She's not forsaking those things. It also doesn't mean, listen, it also doesn't mean that wives are always supposed to agree with their husbands. Okay? Too much shaking of the head here. Okay? Submission, submission, biblical submission means that the wife is, is fully engaged in helping in every way that she possibly can. She's helping to lead. That she's not a, some sort of like blind follower. No. She's a faithful friend and a wise sister in Christ. A wife submits by freely and gladly following the lead of her husband, just as the church does with Jesus. This is the New Testament teaching of how wives are supposed to, or called to relate to their husbands. I thought about this as well um, a couple of days ago. I think it's fair of me to say this as well, that this concept or this idea is much more, much more about the posture of the heart than, than, than even what we, we do in marriage. It's much more a heart issue than it is these like practical steps of like how you're supposed to wake up in the morning and the way you brush your teeth and all these things. It's much more of a heart issue. So ladies, 
wives, the question that we, we kind of sort of start with today is, what is the posture of your heart towards your husband? What is the posture of your heart towards your husband? If you're a single lady today and God has ordained it for you to be married, it's a question for you to consider. Right now, how are you positioning your heart to be ready okay, to fulfill the calling that God has given you towards your husband? Or if you're single, you have the gift of singleness. Okay, or you've decided, you've chosen to remain single, or you've, you, that's your desire because you just want to live for the kingdom, God alone. God bless you if, you, if that's you. Okay, then, then your role is to be encouraging other ladies in your life, in your sphere, to, to posture their hearts this way. So wives, are you freely and gladly partnering with your husband? Are you using your God-given gifts to help him? These are the things that we need to consider. Now, I want to say one last thing when it comes to defining submission, then we'll, we'll move on. Um, modern day feminists okay yes we're going to go there modern day feminists will say have said pointed at Christianity and said to tell a woman a wife to submit to her husband is to say that she is less valuable That's ultimately what you're doing. And maybe deep down, for those of us here in person, those of you watching online, maybe deep down, um, you're listening to this, we're talking about submission, and, and that's actually the way that you see it too. Guys and girls. But let's, let's understand Right? That that is, it's 100%, actually. 100% worldly thinking. That's not kingdom thinking. But it's so difficult to even talk about this passage, to talk about these texts, because even for me, I'm preparing this. You know, I'm going through the text, and I've known this passage is coming. Right? That's why I waited until after Christmas. Right? I'm like, we're just going to pause and celebrate Christmas, and then we'll get here. Because I just know going into this that even with the church, there's just all these preconceived notions and experiences and you know, you, there's, there's going to be, as soon as we talk about what is biblical submission, there's this like, oh, like, oh, we're going to really talk. What does that mean? And there's this defense mechanism even. The guys are more like sitting back like, yeah, listen, listen to this guy, you know. But the wife, some of you like ladies, you just kind of cringe at that. Like, oh, that's like this outdated prehistoric. What are we talking about? Right? Um. But that's not, again, that's not kingdom thinking. It's worldly thinking. So we have to, again, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can read this and and actually receive this appropriately and then live this according to God's ways because, again, trusting that his ways are best for our flourishing. And I want you to think about it this way, you know, in response to those, again, we'll say the modern-day feminist or the person who says that, you know, this biblical teaching, it puts women in a lower position or makes them less valuable or less important. Well, think about, the, again, context matters. Even in all these passages that are telling wives to submit, please do yourself a favor and read the surrounding texts. Please. 
Like here in 1 Peter 3, it says later, we're going to see this, that women are precious. That they are co-heirs, which means equal, co-heirs with their husbands. In Ephesians 5, it says that women are to be deeply, deeply loved and cherished. They're to be prized, elevated, it says. That men, husbands, are actually supposed to sacrifice themselves for their wives. So does it seem like the Bible has a low view of women? That they're less valued according to the scriptures? No way. Absolutely not. And you want more evidence? Because I like apologetics. It's kind of my defense mechanism. Right? You want more evidence to this? I got you. I'm going to get you right now. Let me ask you, didn't Jesus Christ himself humble himself while he was on the earth and submit himself to the Father's authority and the Father's leadership and the Father's direction? Did he do that? Yes or no? Yes. He did that. So here's the question back. Then is Jesus less valuable than God the Father? Oh, I got you. See? Was Jesus not equal Nathan preached a couple weeks ago about the Trinity. Was Jesus not equal with God the Father? So understand that this concept even, biblical submission, headship, it is even rooted in the Trinity. It's a Trinitarian discussion. Even before the fall, this existed. So in God's eyes, start from that place. In God's eyes, men and women are equal in dignity, in value, in worth. That is clear. But again, they have been given, given a different role. We are equal but distinct. That's God's created order for our great joy and deep flourishing. Okay? So that's biblical submission. But then why then? That's a good question to ask. Why? Why then are our wives called to submit. What's the purpose, we'll say? What's the, the purpose of submission? It's point two for today, or, or our second question today. Okay, let's look at the text again and see what it says, the purpose of submission. It says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. So we see here that a wife's submission to her husband, particularly to her non-believing, non-Christian husband, the purpose here is to win their husbands to the Lord. To win their husbands to and for Christ. And certainly, what could be more important than that? That ladies, if you're here today, some of you watching online, you're married to someone who's not following Jesus, wouldn't it be worth it to, 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 to listen to God's call and command here if you knew it would lead your husband to the Lord? Peter makes it clear that the best way for a wife to do that is by their godly character. Not by primarily preaching to him or arguing with him why your God is better or best, but by demonstrating the transforming power of the gospel in her life. 
Peter says, you are to display the greater reality and beauty of Jesus to your husband. Simply put, let your life speak on your behalf. And even for for Christian husbands, even for Christian husbands, wives, listen, listen to this, listen to me. Understand this, that when you choose to live like Jesus, when you help and care and conduct yourself like Jesus, when you choose to adorn yourself, to dress yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit, and when you, when you carry yourself that way, that will always, always move your husband towards the gospel. Always. That's going to inspire him to be more like Jesus himself. He's going to want to lead more, to sacrifice more, to be who he is created to be. So wives, when, when you live out what God has designed you to be, it's of great benefit to your husband. It's actually of infinite worth to him because it has eternal impact. Now we talked about adorning last week, but just quick again, I encourage you again, go back and you can listen to that, what it means to adorn the heart. But Peter says this next, let's just keep going through the text. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So again, what's Peter getting at here? Well, the bottom line is, don't be preoccupied with outward beauty. That's what he's saying. Not saying don't be occupied with it at all. You just don't make it first and foremost. Don't be preoccupied with it. Wives, don't give undue attention to your outward appearance. And now again, we're reading everything in context. It's going to come together. Why would Peter say that? You, now you're going to get this. He says that because focusing on the external, your outward beauty, isn't going to help bring your husband to the gospel. That's what he's saying. Not the true gospel. He might be like, wow, you are stunning. Who's that Jesus? Right? He might do that. All right? I'm willing to follow that Jesus. You know? But not a true everlasting change that will lead to him persevering. It's not about the external. It's about the internal. So again, Peter's not saying, don't care about your looks. This is him saying, focus on the hidden person, though, on the heart. Focus on what lasts, on what's imperishable, unfading, cannot be destroyed. Because, because that beauty, that inward beauty, it's actually, it's actually potent. It's potent. That inner beauty is is so potent, Peter says, that it can even help your husband go to Jesus. It's amazing. So so wives, submit to your husbands, non-Christian or Christian. Submit to them to help them be closer to Jesus, to help bring them to the gospel. This is to his benefit. You do this. You live this out. But also understand 
this is also for you. It's not just for your husband, it's also for you. Because when you do this, when you do this, you look more like Jesus as well. You become more like Christ when you choose to subject yourself to your husband. See, when you learn, when you learn, when you live out having a gentle and and quiet spirit, you're actually learning to, to imitate the person of Jesus Christ. You're being transformed, conformed to Jesus. Right? After all, Jesus said of this of himself in Matthew 11, chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew 11, verse 29. He said this, I, for I, come to me all who are weary and burdened. He said, for I am gentle and lowly, he said, in heart. And so Peter's call here for wives to submit, his call for you to submit, ladies, is actually a call. It's actually an encouragement to be more like Jesus. It's not first and foremost a call to, here's what you need to do for your husband. It's a call to be like Jesus, for you to be like Christ, to be more like the one who who died for your sins and left you an example to follow. Isn't that what Peter said just before this? It's 1 Peter 2, 21. Look at this. It says this, for, this it, for, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, here it is, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He just said that. So, so Peter's now saying, wives, Jesus submitted himself. He was gentle and lowly in heart. Now you go and do the same. Be like Jesus. And then I think we see one more purpose here for submission. So it's to, to the benefit of your husband, to bring him to the gospel. It's for you personally to be more like Christ, to imitate Christ. And this might be the most important one of all. Those are two are pretty big. But this might be the most important one of all. Peter says, wives, submit to your husbands. Adorn your heart. Focus on your character. Look like Jesus. Have a quiet and gentle spirit. Have a peace about you. Have... A, be, be restrained in your strength. Be strong, but re, be restrained. Because when you do this, look at what Peter says about it. End of verse 4. End of verse 4. It says, Which in God's sight is very precious. So what's the purpose of submission? It's precious in God's sight. Which, by the way, is what ultimately matters. In other words, this brings the Lord joy. That he is pleased when you do this, wives. It's beautiful to him. And since it's of great value to God, it should be, needs to be, of great value to you. So wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Because it's of great benefit to him, it's of great benefit to you, and it pleases the Lord. It's precious in God's sight when you live according to God's design. Let's continue through the the text. And what we see Peter do next is actually give us some examples of this. He sort of made his point, and now he turns to some some illustrations, some example. And this is some, there's some great encouragement here. 
I really like this, this actually, this part. He says, look at verse 5. I like it all, but this is, I like this part. Verse 5 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. And so Peter says, I think this is really important. He says, ladies, this is not a new concept. We need to say this again in 2021. This is not some outdated, new, like, evangelical concepts for, so that husbands can, like, be in control. No, no, no. This is God's design from the beginning. This is how, from the start, holy, godly women have lived. They have adorned themselves this way. It's almost like he's saying, because remember, they're scattered. They're, they're in fear. They're, they're, you know, Christianity at this time is small. It's just a small gathering of people, really. It's almost like Peter's saying, you might be lacking contemporary examples of this. So instead, if you can't look around you, look at the outstanding example of the wives that we have all throughout the Old Testament. And then follow them. Be like them. Don't follow the cultural example. Don't follow the cultural expectation. Be like them. Go back. See how they lived and follow them. And this is good. Do you see what set them apart? He says it there. Do you see what set them apart? What set them apart is holy. What really made these women beautiful in the sight of God? Simple. They hoped in God. That's what it is. So if you want to know how to do this, and it's not even a question, but I'm just giving it to you now. You want to know how to submit? How can I possibly do this? Hope in the Lord. They hoped in God, meaning they were uniquely and ultimately dependent on God, not their husband. That's what informed, it motivated their submission This makes sense, right? Because you've been there. Some of you have been there. I'm sure many times these wives, these women were tempted to not do this, to not follow this as they observed their husband's faults, foolishness, and weaknesses. Like, are you kidding me? I got to submit to that guy? You got to be kidding me. There's no way I could do that, right? Stop nodding your head. No, I'm just kidding. Kidding. No one's nodding your head. But ultimately, they trusted in the Lord. That's the point. And as they hoped in God, they were able to submit. Again, this is what inspired their submission, Peter says. So listen, listen. This is not about looking at your husband wives. This is not about looking at your husband and seeing and seeing if he is worthy to follow. That's not up to you. Let me check. How are you doing today? It's Monday. Are you worthy to to follow today? Did you check all my marks? No, no, no. This is looking not to your husband. This is looking at the Lord and knowing that he, he asked you to follow. And that inspires you to follow, regardless of who your husband is. 
These ladies, these women, lived with a daily confidence in the Lord to fulfill his promises. It was this hope in God that made these ladies truly beautiful to behold, precious in the sight of the Lord. I'll say it this way. A wife, then, a wife whose heart is submitted, fully submitted to God, will always be a wife who gladly partners with and submits to her husband. A wife that is fully submitted to God, fully hoping in him, fully trusting him, will respect their husband and have a quiet, quiet and gentle spirit for their husband. And I'm glad Peter does this. He actually gives us a specific, specific example of this. And that's Sarah. Listen to what Peter says. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And here's verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, there are some really fun verses in the scripture, aren't there? This is one of those reasons uh, here. I was reminded of this last night. This is one of the reasons I love teaching verse by verse through the Bible, exegetically. Don't skip a verse, because I get to study verses like verse 6. Okay? Wisdom would have been like, just skip it. Go to verse 7. They'll never know, you know. <laughs> Let me just first say, we don't even have to spend a lot of time on this one word there. Don't get caught up. Don't get caught up. Don't get stuck at all on Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Don't. No need. This is just an ancient expression. Okay? Totally different culture. 2,000 years ago and before that. Really, like 5,000 years ago, if you're talking about Abraham. Okay? It's just an ancient expression of loyalty, trust, and respect. Okay? Modern translations, it would say, like, um, she called him dear husband. Saying the same thing. Okay? Lord. So she's not bowing down to him or worshiping him or something. You're my Lord, my Lord. You know, do what you will. You know, it's not that. Okay? It's not that. So let's, let's just, we can move by that closely. Trust me, I did my research. I, I did like 45 minutes of research to say that in 45 seconds. All right? For you. All right? I want to make sure you know you don't have to go home, wives, and call your husband Lord today. You don't have to do that, all right? You're good. If you want, it's up to you. Whatever you do in your home, it's fine with me. Right? You don't need to do that. You don't have to follow Sarah's example that way. So what's Peter doing here? Why? Why? Why is he doing this? Why is he singling out Sarah? He could have used a number of people. But he singles out Sarah as an example of a godly woman who adorned herself with internal beauty who had a spirit of gentleness and quietness, who was, who was subject to, submitted to her husband, Abraham. Sarah, by the way, it's interesting. Sarah, by the way, she is described in, in Genesis um, as being physically beautiful. Like, she's gorgeous. That's what the te- how it reads. She's beautiful. But Peter doesn't mention that at all. Not at all. And it's not what Peter wants to draw your attention to. He wants to actually take your attention away from that, to her inner beauty. He's talking here about her her trust in the Lord that led her to her trust in her husband. 
This is one of the reasons I love, again, going verse by verse. I gotta be, I'll be totally transparent with you. I never really stopped and thought about this before, deeply. Um, and I was so encouraged this week by this. Have you ever thought about Sarah herself right, and everything that she went through? Because our focus almost 95% of the time, our focus is on Abraham. But have you ever thought about Sarah, what she went through? Think about this. Her husband, Abraham, hears from the Lord himself. Abraham, leave. You need to go. Leave your family. Leave your friends. And here's what you need to do. You need to go to an unknown place. I'm not going to give you the name of the city. If it's north, south, east, west, you're just going to follow me. Go. We hear nothing from Sarah. She follows. She just follows. Trust the Lord. Let her trust her husband. She goes. <laughs> they can't have children. Years and years and years. But, but, but read the text. In the end, she, she has this moment of like she's laughing. Like, you got to be kidding me. I can't have kids. I'm way past childbirth. But in the end, she trusts the Lord to provide. And so she follows her husband. Or what about this one? This is the one that really hit me. Remember, they finally have a son. It comes to pass. Your promise still stands. They're probably singing it. Great is your faithfulness. Great your faithfulness. Wow, Isaac, this is amazing. We have this son. God is amazing. He's incredible. And then God comes and tells Abraham, go and sacrifice him. Take him up to the mountain. Kill him. The next verse literally says, so Abraham leaves to do so. It just says he packs up and goes the next morning. He trusts that God will be faithful. We never talk about Sarah. What about Sarah? She's the mother. She's the mother of this child. She's the mother of Isaac. And you know what the text says about Sarah? Nothing. Why? She's silent. Quiet hopeful. She doesn't run screaming after them, you're not going to do this to my son. Right, some of you moms, you do that. What do you mean you're going to say? Right, think about that. Put yourself in her shoes. Quiet. She stays behind. I'm following you, Abraham. Okay. God has always, always led us. Always told us where to go. From the very beginning, I trust the Lord. I trust you. She puts her hope in God. Sarah embarks on this incredible journey with Abraham. By the way, if you read through that narrative, there are so many ups and downs. And wow, wow, did Abraham fail badly a few different times. Before all this, he even at one point gives his wife, Sarah, away to Pharaoh. She, oh, that's actually, uh, she's my sister. Here, you have her. He does that. Take her as your own wife. And then you remember, Egypt is filled with plagues. God's like, I don't think so. Right? That, that woman is mine. Right? She's going to be the father of, she's going to be the woman, the, 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 the wife, the, the mother of many nations. She's mine. Plagues Egypt. And Pharaoh's like, Abraham, come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I would have left you alone. Right? This is Abraham. He's a coward at times. Coward, not worth following, 
not worth submitting to. But through it all, Peter says that she's an example of a woman, a wife who faithfully, gladly, and respectfully partnered with her husband in his leadership. She submitted to Abraham because she had great hope in the Lord. And then Peter finishes addressing women, wives, this way. It's the rest of verse 6. She says this, And you, wives, women, you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. So Peter says to us now, to you now, he's looking at you right now, directly reads to you. To you, he says, you have become her children. Through your conversion, by the way. Through faith in Jesus. So Abraham is the father of the faithful, and and Sarah is the mother of submission. See? And your likeness, wives, your likeness to Sarah is evident if you do good, which is here what? If you submit to your husband. I always want to be clear, always with this, especially as we wrap up. This isn't necessary, by the way, this isn't necessary for your salvation. It's not a requirement for salvation, for you to inherit the kingdom of God. But it is the result or the evidence of your salvation, wives. That wives, that you would follow in the example of Sarah, hoping in God, trusting in God, following the Lord, which then leads to trusting and following your husband. And finally, he says, do not fear. Fear nothing, he says. Fear nothing. Fear nothing. Sarah's daughters don't fear anything. And this is Peter just reiterating the point, ladies, to faithfully and to fully trust the Lord. Put all your hope in him. He's putting a stamp there. Remember, Remember these women who Peter was addressing. Remember the context. We'll go back one more time. They were facing immense, tremendous opposition. And because they had left their husband's religion, they could be outcasted or even worse, killed for this. But Peter says, now you get why he says this. But Peter says to them, Sarah's daughters. Don't do anything. Don't allow anything to paralyze their hearts with fear. They fear nothing, actually, but God and God alone. So wives, we'll close today with this. To the Christian wives, to Christian wives here today, listening online. In a world that is not your true home, as a citizen of God's kingdom, Put Jesus first and foremost in your life. Make him the center of your life. It's our theme from the whole year. Do that. Put him first. Submit your life to God fully. Put your hope in him. Anchor your life in Jesus. Hold on to God's promises and do not fear. And then out of that faith, out of that trust, out of that hope, wives, submit to your husbands. You are honoring and trusting 
Jesus, actually, when you submit to the role God has given to you and your husband. So adorn yourself. Adorn your heart. Again, again, dress your heart first for God, but then for your husband. And this means that you respect him. You respect him. You don't demean him. It means that you highlight ways, even small ways, that you see God's grace at work in his life. It means that you're his number one encourager. It means that you're, you're modest and strong. You're strong. But you use your strength to, to build up, not to tear down. It means that you are at rest with the Lord. You have true peace. Peter says, this is how godly women dress themselves. And then finally, if your husband, wives, if your husband is not a believer, is not a follower of Jesus, first pray, but then keep living out your faith. Trust the Lord. Hope in God. This is your God-given call, wives. Show grace. Show grace to your husband. He's flawed. Sinner. He knows that. Okay? He knows it already. Show grace. Be a helper. Be a true partner. Allow the the commands of being a godly wife to flow from who you are in Jesus. You can't do it on your own strength. But because of who you are in Christ, you can do it. Allow God's love for you to move you to love your husband. And husbands, husbands, you've been just listening mostly this whole time, (laughs) but just in a sentence, husbands, don't enforce this. That's not your job. This isn't your wife's duty. This is an expression. She follows you lets you lead her. This is an expression of her love for Jesus more than it even is her love for you. This is worship for her, actually. So guys, again, I say this sort of jokingly, but not. Don't go home and be like, hey, you heard the message today. You need to submit and call me Lord. Right? You know, let's go. Come on now, you know. That's not how it works, right? No way, right? Um, you can try that, but then why message me? I'll get them next week. Don't worry. Okay, I'm coming after them next week, so, so, so hold tight, right? But let me just say it this way then, husbands. Make it easy. Make it easy for your wife to respect you <laughs> and to follow you. And by the way, communicate with her on, on how you most feel respected. She might not even know. Love her well. Lead her well. That's your job. Talk about that next week. So wives, last thing I'll say, I promise. Who or what is your life submitted to? Who or what are you placing your trust in? I hope it's the Lord. Because a wife, this is the bottom line today, 
A wife whose heart is submitted to God will be a wife who gladly partners and submits to her husband every single time. Show me a wife who's fully submitted to the Lord. I'll show you a wife who just gladly, freely follows the leadership and direction of her husband. Let me pray for you.